Now, uh, Aaron Sorkin has arrived with his directorial debut. And what a fascinating subject, Molly Bloom. Molly was, um, at a young age, uh, with her two siblings, pressured to uh, probably an abusive level by an overachieving, high-flying father into uh, being an athlete. And she was a skier, uh, moguls, I believe. And uh, around the age of 12, she ended up having spinal surgery and then uh, to correct a severe spinal abnormality and having plates put in her spine. Not good if you're a skier doing bouncy stuff and leaps and somersaults. But she fought back and she got into uh, contention for the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, uh, around the age of 20, where I think she was up to fourth in the world or something. And uh, tragically, on a, uh, I think on a, one of the qualifying runs, a freak accident, um, she apparently they, when the conditions were very, very bad. They used to put pine cones and, and twigs in front of the, the jumps so that they would have some sort of depth perception approaching them. And one of these twigs, in a million to one chance, knocked her uh, the release button on her ski as she went past it. Just a complete freak. And she was going over a jump and um, severely injured herself, and that was her career over. And from that point on, she, at the behest of her father, was going to become a lawyer. Um, but she went to work in, um, I don't know if it's California or Vegas now, probably Vegas. But anyway, she went wherever she went to work. Um, she started as a sort of PA temp and also was working in a bar selling Grey Goose to unsuspecting punters and trying to get buy on tips. And her boss, who was a complete swine, was running high-stakes poker games with a lot of very famous people. It must have been LA, actually. And these were games that were, you know, in secret locations and you had to be invited and the buy-ins were $20,000 and so on and so forth. And a lot of celebrities, people we've seen, people like George Clooney, Brad Pitt, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, all of these people were doing this kind of thing. Um, I think that a lot of them ended up getting in severe tax problems with it as well. So she gets into this world where she's a hostess with a mostess for this guy and finds out that she loves it and she's really good at it as well. Molly's played by Jessica Chastain and the whole film is based on Molly's biography, autobiography called Molly's Game from Hollywood's Elite to Wall Street Billionaires Boys Club, My High Stakes Adventure in the World of Underground Poker. And it follows her basically getting kicked out of one game and forming her own, which becomes hugely successful. Um, she, she, well, she's in. She's sort of like the leader of um, this one game, and Michael Cera is the head honcho player. He's the best player, and he ha- carries the most weight. And she builds this game up and makes a fortune, like ten thousand dollars a night and upwards, and becomes very rich. And She's always sort of trying to work out whether or not what she's doing is legal. And lawyers are sort of like, yeah. And she, it's, it's sort of like it's a grey area where she, if you're not taking a rake from the game, as in if you're not taking a profit off the game, it's legal. So she did this for a while, for quite a while, and was a preeminent game in town. When her um, original sort of mentor kicked her out, she just went off and started her own game, which was twice as successful as his was. But in the end, again, Michael Cera turns on her, on a, on a dime. You get these flashes in this movement of people who, 
you know, you've given your all to, in a couple of sentences, cutting you off completely. And that happens again to her. And by this stage, she's gone from being very in control to being very, very into drugs and alcohol and very depressed and everything else, but still loving what she does. So she relocates to New York and sets up an even bigger underground game. And it's here that because of her success, and this time around it's Wall Street hedge fund people and the like, um, the inevitability of organized crime appears, the Russian mafia, and they want in. And if it's true, uh, when she refuses, they come to her apartment and over Christmas beat the living daylights out of her. And she's just left with no choice. And they basically say, you know, this is your mother's address. We won't ask again. And she gets in bed with the mafia. She also finds herself in a situation where a lot of the players are drunkards. Even though they're very wealthy, they often end up losing a million dollars on a game and they can't cover it. So she ends up having a lot of money owed to her from these people. Um, so she starts taking a rake. Everyone tells her to, you know, take a little bit of the profit to cover these people that aren't paying their debts. So she does. That's when she breaks the law. Unbeknownst to her, uh, an enormous federal investigation regarding the criminal uh, people involved in the Russian mafia who are laundering millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, she's stuck in the middle of it because she becomes like the focal point of the investigation because a lot of the people are turning up at her games. A lot of the people are conversing through her games about what they're doing. So there's one night there's an almighty bust and she has everything taken off of her. All her money, $5 million or so, still owed a fortune on the streets and she just quits. But then again, it happens a couple of years later after she sort of um, stopped doing it all, where they come at her again and they try and prosecute her um, for you know this uh, the, the illegal activity that's been going on and her connections with the Russian mafia. She didn't even really understand what was going on. And she hadn't really understood that she was even doing anything illegal. And she doesn't have anything. So she turns to Idris Alba, who's a high-profile lawyer, and he gets her... Well, he doesn't want a bar of her at the start, but he ends up becoming her attorney. And we follow this dovetailed story of her autobiographical life in chronological order. And at the same time, pretty much from the start, her impending trial. Um, this has been a film that's been passed over by the awards season uh, quite a lot. And it's probably the number one film where people have said, why isn't this up for everything? Um, how good is it? It is really good. It is really good. Uh, it's particularly notable for Jessica Chastain's central performance, which is brilliant. It's, pretty, it's, it's relatable to Zero Dark Thirty. You've got a very driven, intense, unknowable almost central character. Um, and I think she does brilliant work, and it's pretty silly that she's not up for a, a, an Oscar nomination for this, really. And it's, a, it's, it's helmed by three brilliant performances. Chastain... Idris Elba's superb as a lawyer, and her dad, Kevin Costner, is brilliant as her dad. Um, where the film falls down, I think it's with the writer-director Aaron Sorkin. He's very writerly in this film, and he lets you know. It's like he needs you to know everything that he knows, so he puts in so much that you could probably leave out at least half an hour and make a more focused film. Um, but he, he overwrites it. And there's sort of the odd sort of 
you know, monologues that sort of stick out as monologues. It's, it's almost like he's he can't stop himself writing. Um, and the other thing with that is because the scenarios are often repeated, they're game nights, she's setting up a new poker ring, it is kind of repetitive on that score. Um, a weak link for me, Michael Cera, who's been good in a lot of films, notably The Social Network. Oh, no, it was just, that was Jesse Eisenberg. I always mix those two up. Um, but here I felt like his performance was pretty awful, and it, it stood out next to the main three like a sore thumb. Um, it's still very, very well put together. Um, it's, it's very interesting. It's just a bit repetitious and a bit too much. Um, I think you could focus it down and you'd have a really strong film. Um, I thought the the court stuff was well handled as well. That kind of gave you a glint away from... Because there's only so much of these games you can sort of handle, you know. It's like probably, you know, 20 nights worth of games are shown in some shape or form and the, the guys falling in love with her, the sad sack people and... It, it does get a bit repetitious and a bit obvious on that score. And he, and you feel like he's trying to tell you how clever a writer he is quite often. And I think if you're a really clever writer, which he obviously is, you wouldn't notice the writing, but I did. Um, happily, when a lot of the monologues happen, uh, people like Idris Elba and Kevin Costner do good work with it, such strong work that you kind of overlook it. But elsewhere, it's a little bit sort of written you can feel it you know it's it's like when someone adapts a a stage play to the movies and you can still see it's a stage play it's kind of along those lines anyway i would give it it's a solid film there's not really much to not like about it just a bit repetitious and a bit overwritten so i'd give molly's game eight out of ten and it's certainly worth watching for the main three performers as well who are excellent molly's game eight out of ten and this is eric's trip from another american fated indie band and I'm playing bands that have an influence from the...